In the name of the Father, and the Son, and God's Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Every year, um, I go back and I uh, reread one of the gospel accounts of that first Easter morning, um, just to see if maybe there's a little detail that I have overlooked over the last few years. So a few weeks ago, I'm reading in the 16th chapter of Mark's gospel, where you remember the women come uh, to the tomb that morning, largely to pay respects to their dead leader. And uh, lo and behold, to their alarm, they discover that the body is not there. And according to Mark, uh, there is a young man standing there, dressed in white clothes, who says to them, he's not here, he is risen, and he is going before you to Galilee. So here is my Easter question this year. Why Galilee? (laughs) I mean, Galilee is well known to us, those of us who have grown up going to Sunday school. Um, But in that day, it was really nothing but a forlorn, sort of of out-of-the-way place. You could think of it as the UP of Israel, culturally speaking. Um, Like you're from the UP? I mean, Jesus is from there, but that's really its only claim to fame. The disciples were from there, but Jesus spent most of his time trying to prepare those forlorn followers for their big trip to Jerusalem, um, where the real action was. I mean, it was in Jerusalem that he was crucified. In Jerusalem, he rose. Pious Jews at that time were looking for the restoration of Jerusalem. They wanted a Messiah who would come and restore that holy city to its proper place. Which makes it all the more odd, I think, that the moment he rose from the dead, at least according to Mark, he leaves the big city and he goes to Galilee. Why? I mean, you would have thought that on the first day of his resurrected life, Jesus would have done something like gone back to the palace where they had dragged him a few days earlier, right? I mean, Pilate, you remember when you asked sort of facetiously, are you the king of the Jews? You remember when you pretended to wash your hands of this whole mess? You know what they say about Pilate? Paybacks. (laughs) You might have thought that Jesus would do something effective. Um, If you want to have maximum results, you don't waste your time talking to the first person that you meet on the street. You want to talk to somebody who's a mover and shaker. Somebody has some power and influence in the society. I remember Uh, A few years back, hearing this person from the National Council of Churches who was being interviewed on the radio about the hard times that the council has fallen on and how little influence they have in our society today. And, and, And this person said, well, the administration meaning the president at the time, the, the, the administration has refused to welcome us to the White House. How on earth can you get anything done if the most powerful person on the earth won't receive you at the White House? But Jesus, he didn't go to the palace. 
They didn't go to the White House, not to mention the Kremlin or 10 Downing Street. He went to Galilee. Why? Nobody special lived in Galilee. Nobody except the followers of Jesus. Nobody but us. The resurrected Jesus comes back and he appears to the very same ragtag army of failures who have so disappointed him, who have misunderstood him, who forsook him and fled into the darkness. He returns to his betrayers, to us. It would have been enough, you know, some of our Jewish friends at the Passover Seder, they sing this song called Dayenu. In Hebrew, it means it would be enough. Dayenu, it would have been enough if Jesus had died. But the good news of Easter is he died for us. So the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans, says, one might be willing to die for a really good person. But Jesus shows that he's not one of us because he died for sinners like us. It would have been enough, Dianu, that Jesus rose from the dead. But the good news of Easter is that he rose and came back for us. That first Easter, nobody actually saw Jesus rise from the dead. They saw him afterwards. They didn't appear to him. He appeared to them, to us. In the Bible, the proof of the resurrection is not about the absence of a body from a tomb. That doesn't prove anything. Remember that the women actually thought that the body had been stolen. It is not the absence. It is his presence among his followers. Years ago when I was in Israel, on the very same day, we went to see not just one, but two different sites, either of which may or may not be the place where Jesus was buried. And that night, I remember that there were a number of people in our little tour group who were a little discouraged because in this case, two was not better than one because it meant that neither site was definitive. And I can still remember our tour guide, Shep, saying to us, look, if you came here to have your faith bolstered by an empty tomb, you're looking in the wrong place. If you want proof, the place to look is in the changed lives of his followers. There you will discover that God did indeed raise Jesus from the dead. Look, something happened to those scared, denying disciples. Something that turned them into these passionate, joyful witnesses who were willing to give their very lives for something that they had seen and heard. It may be difficult to believe that he was raised, but even more incredible, he was raised for us. The result of Easter, the product of resurrection, is the church. 
It may not be the church specifically as it exists today, but it is definitely a community of people with nothing more to convene us than his presence in and among us. That is our only claim to fame. You know, in some of these large mega churches, they have what they call seeker services. Some of you are familiar with these. They're usually on a Sunday morning, and um, they usually are big productions, often very entertaining. They have great musicians, um, often a, a good message given by an adorable preacher. And they are designed for people who are seeking something better in their lives. And of course, the church should reach out to people who are seeking. Mainline churches have done a terrible job of that over the decades, and that is why that need in our society is being met in other ways. Though it seems very clear that many who go to seeker services today are not actually first-time seekers. They are really dropouts from struggling mainline churches. But I digress. <laughs> the point is the name. The name Seeker Service in a sense, misses the whole point of the story. The Bible is not a story about how we keep seeking God. As we so demonstrated on Good Friday and Holy Saturday and even the beginning of Easter morning, we can and we do adjust to death. We go back to work. We go back to Galilee. Nobody expected resurrection. Nobody but on Easter, we are encountered by this one who is unwilling to allow our story or God's story to end in death. So Easter is the story about how God keeps, despite us, God keeps seeking us. So in our lesson today, Paul says that Jesus appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and to the 12, and to James, that's the brother of Jesus, and to others. And last of all, he says, he appeared to me, to this great persecutor and murderer of the church, to Paul himself. Paul was hardly seeking Jesus. This risen Jesus over and over again does exactly what the earthly Jesus always did. He came to us. He came for us. You know, I've heard me say before, it's really not a big deal in my mind that when people say today, I believe in God. I mean, 90-something percent of Americans say they believe that there is a God. What interests me more is, what God do you believe in? And what difference does that make in your life? What is God like? Sometimes just go to the 15th chapter of Luke's gospel. It's sometimes called the gospel within the gospel, and you get a great glimpse. God is the shepherd who doesn't just sit back and wait for the lost sheep to hopefully wander home, wagging his tail behind him. No, God goes out. God seeks. God risks everything. God beats the bushes night and day to find that one lost one. What is God like? God is like the prodigal father, not the prodigal son. It's not the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of the prodigal father. 
who doesn't just sit on the porch fold, with his hands folded, sort of waiting for the apology from his son that, yes, he deserves, but rather who sees his son at a distance, who hikes up his robes and runs to his son, embracing him with his heart, even before he can reach him with his arms, and long before the son can utter even a single word of repentance. We thought, what with the betrayal and all of the blood on Good Friday, we thought that was the end. We thought it was over between us and God. And the truth is, had it, it, had it been me, it would have been. I've said before, if one of my daughters came to me and she said she wanted to get a degree so that she could go back into an inner city neighborhood and she thought she could really help people and make a difference in their lives, I would be hesitant. But I'd like to think that I would support her. But if you told me that she did that, and then the way some responded to her was that they abused her, and they beat her, and then they killed her. If I had the power to raise her from the dead, it would not occur to me in a million years to send her back to the very same people who did that. But you realize that's exactly what God did on Easter. He came back to us. Contrary to popular belief, Christians are not better people than everybody else. We don't have a corner on morality, though the phrase moral majority seemed to imply that for many years. We are rather those who have experienced. We have seen with the eyes of the heart what God is really like, not some white-bearded, distant judge, but rather this prodigal father shepherd who was born for and who died for and then was raised again for the likes of you and me. He came back for us. In one way or another, you are here this morning because the risen Christ has sought you and somehow caught you and now has commandeered you to be the bearer of his message. By God, Mary Poppins was right. You never walk alone. Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with us. Why in the Apostles' Creed do we say he descended into hell? He didn't deserve that. He went there because there is no place on this earth or beyond it that you can escape God's love. He'll go anywhere to get you. A student was asked to summarize the gospel in a few words, and he responded, in the Bible it gets dark, and then it gets very dark, and then Jesus shows up. And I would add, he shows up for you. So the psalmist writes, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the deepest darkness, you're there. 
If I soar on the wings of the morning or dwell in the deepest parts of the sea, even there, your hand will lead me and your love will embrace me. Will Williman, one of my favorite Methodists, was visiting a man in the hospital, really on the verge of dying. And Will asked him there at the end how he was feeling. Are you afraid, he said. Afraid? No, he responded. I'm not afraid because of my faith in Jesus. Well, we all have hope that our future is in God's hands, Will said, somewhat piously. No. I'm not hopeful because of what I believe about the future, he corrected Will. I'm hopeful because of what I have experienced in the past. What do you mean, Will said. He said, I look back over my life all the mistakes that I've made, all the times that I've turned away or just wasn't listening, gone my own way. And he was always finding a way to get back to me. I don't think this God will let something like my dying defeat his love for me. There is a man who understands Easter. To that poor, struggling church in Corinth, failing so miserably at being the body of Christ, backsliding and splitting apart and scandalously immoral, Paul preaches Easter. He reminds them that they are gathered in the name of this one who is always seeking them. Once you were no people, but now you are God's people. That's what the risen Jesus does. He comes back again and again to the very ones, and now I'm talking about us, the ones who have disappointed him and denied him. He appears to us. Sometimes he grabs us by the collar, embracing even those of us who are not touchy-feely types, and he holds on to us, and he makes us agents of Easter. As the Father has sent me, Jesus says, I am sending you. You are plan A. That's the kind of God we have. That's the kind of God I want to serve. You have come here this morning, not because Jesus is more present here, but because here you are reminded that he is always and everywhere seeking you. He came back for us.